What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Compulsive Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Peter Widom. You can find this podcast at compulsive.com. It's another very special episode this week. Uh, we have a, a guest with us, and we have Marian Todorov with us today. And uh, he's going to talk to us about a few topics, including a new development app that I, I've been playing around with a little bit. So I got questions on that. And uh, we're going to get into this, but I'm going to hand it over to Marian right now. If you would like to introduce yourself, I am sure a majority of the audience knows who you are, because I feel like you're kind of a little bit developer famous. So so go for it. Hello, Marian. How are you? Thank you, Peter. That was an amazing introduction. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. As we were, as we were discussing in the pre-recording, I just stabbed my finger with a knife. So I'm not my best, but I'm still like on a above average. Hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to give my best. I have a plaster with animals and everything, uh, you know, like from my uh, daughter's uh, med, med, med kit. So, uh, <laughs> you know. and so, yeah, my name is Marin and, um, I, uh, uh, I've I've been professionally programming I think for about twenty years or more I think more uh, I did about ten years of web development I did all kind of different things on the front end and back end uh, this was really interesting but in two thousand ten in the very beginning of two thousand ten actually end of two thousand nine uh, um, uh, I and a couple of friends went downtown we bought an iPod Touch and uh, <laughs> installed the iOS SDK. And uh, started playing with apps. And this was just really, truly amazing. Um, Objective-C times, uh, pre-ARC, um, very cool times. And <laughs> and so um, <laughs> we started developing applications together. And I you know, kept doing things. And so until kind of like today, uh, I kept doing iPhone apps for, I think, six, seven years, very actively. Uh, and then... Um, I kind of like pivoted a little bit. Uh, I worked for a company called Realm uh, in San Francisco uh, or based in San Francisco um, that did a Realm reactive database for mobile applications. So this was a very interesting thing, but it kind of like it was a little bit of sidestep from developing apps per se, because uh, for about worked mostly on SDKs and frameworks, uh, things like RX Realm um, and mm -hmm. so on. And then for I think three and a half years, uh, added interesting things at Apple, including the Swift Doxy compiler that was released in WWDC 2021. That was also amazing work. Um, I was really excited about it. And it kind of like really invigorated my desire to build more tools that empower <laughs> developers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah we, we owe you a, a massive debt of thanks for all of those tools that you, you just mentioned. So thank you for that. Yeah. Sure, of course. Yeah, I think you know this. I feel I feel very strongly for 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 developers, and especially, I feel that many things are more cumbersome than they need to, and uh, <laughs> you know they can be much nicer and, and much better. And you know, I I really feel for it. I'm, this is really my passion. Yeah, and I I think it comes through because. You know, I've, I've, I've used a few things that you, you've worked on in the past and, um, you know, some of your personal tools and that. And, and it really does come through. And I think that, you know, to me, that's always one of the greatest things, right, is when you, and I often say this to, to the audience and, and people hear me say this all the time, but it's, I, I really believe it's true. When you are making tools that you use yourself, they are always end up being far better not only as a benefit to you, but to everybody else that uses them as well, because it's not something you just make and you put out there and it is what it is. You know, you are constantly finding ways to improve it yourself and little things that bug you about it. And that just always makes for a, for a better useful tool, especially development tools, which, you know, we use them all the time, right? You know, when we're trying to solve our own problems, anything that helps us solve a problem it's just something you have to have as a developer. You you rely on all the time. But how do you you know as someone that do, that works and builds these tools and and presumably uses a lot of third party tools yourself? How do they help your productivity? And sort of how do you see that scope of the development suite, if you like? Right, right. Um, yeah, I I think that as you say, I, I think that especially people who are starting with the Apple platforms or people who have maybe a couple of years of experience. And so I think they're still 
trying to grasp everything that Xcode can do. You know, Xcode can do pretty much anything, right? Like you can write a code, you can uh, design UIs with SwiftUI and previews, you can design UIs with storyboards to design the whole navigation in your app. You can, I don't know, design 2D games with SpriteKit. There's a scene builder there where you can just build things visually. Not to mention you can, there is a 3D editor to build like 3D objects and scenes to use with SceneKit in your apps. Um, there's a data modeler for modeling your, your models and core data. It's, you know, there's a lot that Xcode can do. And therefore, uh, you know, there's a lot to learn. And, and so until you, you know, kind of master every, in each one, each and every of these tools, you know, first of all, there's a lot of time and there's a lot of investment. Your tasks are usually not so long at, at like a normal job that, you know, you will let you to dive deep into like, one of these <laughs> so that you can master it and so forth. So I think there's just so much to discover in Xcode that it, that it's probably it's just, uh, you know, the, the, there's no time to look into third party scene, like what is going, what's <laughs> going on there, uh, most often. Um, <laughs> and so I think for, for me or for, for you, for, for people who are probably have more years behind them, like doing iOS apps or, or Mac apps, uh, I think you've identified problems that are fairly niche, but keep happening to you in your projects, uh, in the way that you solve problems. Um, that just a tool that is much smaller in scope can address probably a little better. You know, there's a, there's this whole, uh, debug sidebar that, that pops up on the left hand side when you are, when you are uh, running the app. Um, and it, that, I think that sidebar is amazing. I think this is, this is, like a big inspiration for for what what data tile does in first place uh th that's the bar that shows you the the memory consumption the uh cpu consumption and the uh disk io but it shows you these three things because this is what what xcode measures uh while while your app is running and so this covers probably what people need to know about running their app in in the debug sidebar um for for most of them probably that's that's all they want to measure but the thing is Many people might want to measure other things. It would be amazing if like another app can provide an extension that will show up in this sidebar and can measure other things like, uh, I don't know, how many objects do you have in your cache or, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the compression ratio of, of things that you're downloading from the network, whatever. I mean, something that is, that is just way more flexible. Um, but this is, you know, this is exactly what I just said is, Xcode covers everyone's use case on any platform um, that Apple supports. Um, and so, you know, it cannot really do a deep dive into every single one thing. And that's why I think that smaller tools can complement that process in a, in, a really, in a really great way. If they focus on one use case for one platform, for one thing, they can do like a much, 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 much better job at that one thing. And so... You know, this is kind of like what I'm what I'm aiming for with data tile. Yeah, let's let's dive into the 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 details here with data tile. So the app is uh, the app is a companion app for your for your Xcode. Um, when you when you when you launch it, there's a something that Peter probably hasn't seen if he was only on the beta. Uh, in the welcome window, uh, you see a list of of apps that are running in your simulator right now. You can pick one, uh, and then data tile will watch the unified log on the simulator for logs from that one app. And when it sees something interesting, things like uh, offset equals 100 or um, you know, download equals false uh, or something like that, uh, there are some patterns, uh, of course, that you can recognize. So when it sees useful data like this, it will create these tiles in, in a window and show you data visually. So if you're logging numbers, you can see a chart, if that makes sense in your use case. Uh, if you if you're logging booleans, you will see a switch. Um, if you're if you're using Apple's logging uh, functions to 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 measure intervals, you will see a timer. And so if you see if you're logging percentages, you will see a progress bar. And so it's kind of like widgets for debugging, but you don't have to do anything extra to use them. Uh, the app rather proactively watches your logs and picks up the data on its own and it shows the UI 
also on its own. Um, and that's it. So it just helps you debug. It makes your data uh, prominent on screen. And the one thing that is really, <laughs> that was really my big trigger for this is, uh, you know, uh, so I log a lot of things in the console uh, because with asynchronous code is a little bit, um, I think, inconvenient to break into the debugger and things are happening at the same time. Things are arriving from the network or so, but you're stopped in the debugger trying to, you know, see what the values are in there and so forth. And and so I oftentimes uh, print a lot to the console, things like this. But in a console, everything prints there, like all the networks, all the services. Uh, there's things dumped there from the network. Uh, there's dumped, things dumped there from the Bluetooth frameworks and so forth. So it le- there's a lot of noise. And so it, oftentimes I find myself like scrolling up and down, looking for like a single number uh, in there. And there's like, all these logs are passing by and oh, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the app helps me with that. The app helps me really much to just not have to worry myself about finding my own data <laughs> uh, in between all the other data that I'm not interested in. Kind of like the app is watching my logs, finding my data, showing it to me. The only thing I need to do is just to like move my eyeballs a little bit on the screen and and, and see what I want to see. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it it saves you time. It cuts down development time. Uh, it makes things that are locked more prominent. Ultimately, the ultimate goal for this is to reduce the time you need to develop and debug uh, debug code, and therefore, you know, put a you know saved hours equals saved dollars equals everyone's happy. Uh, I hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean it's a developer tool. Like the the the, there's only two goals for it: one to to make your life easier, and second to save money for your company. That's uh, you know, th- that's that's it. Time for a break. Hey everybody, it's Peter Whittam here from the Compulsory Podcast. I want to tell you about Setup. Setup is a service that provides a subscription fee of just ten dollars a month. And you get access to over 200 Mac applications. And it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first-rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation. And you can get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the Setapp service for just $10 a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to peterwidham.com, P-E-T-E-R-W-I-T-H-A-M.com forward slash Setapp, S-E-T-A-P-P. And you can see the details there. And it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you. I strongly recommend this to every Mac user. Break time over. Uh, and so how it came to be. So um, I I mentioned already I, I did like a 10 years of web development before the iPhone. Um, and, you know, logging was was mostly what what, what I did there to, to debug data and so forth. So... I have this muscle memory of just printing things um, whenever I need something. Um, it's kind of like this is my process. And and to be honest, trying very many different languages, this is one thing that is that is common in between them, that you can always print things to the log and, and see things uh, and, and have them there in the sequence they happened. And there's a lot of information that you can produce this way. Um, and since this is the one common thing, I thought this is something that I want to leverage and make it more powerful. Um, <laughs> and so I tried a few different things in this direction. So I had a custom logging library, which was very powerful. Um, but people don't want to import a separate package to do something that they're already doing. Like, right, if you, if you're al- if you already have a print command that prints to the to the log or OS log from Apple that prints the log. You don't want to import usually um, a third-party package to do something similar. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I understand that, of course. I mean, um, if it if it doesn't offer like some kind of a huge value to it, uh, third-party 
libraries are probably better to avoid. Like it, it needs to be certain value that it adds uh, and it's irreplaceable. And then um, I think it's great to use them. Otherwise, probably not. And so I thought about um, doing something else, like having have, have a more visual way to do it. And so I worked on a few custom instruments for Xcode. So you can you can build uh, you can build your own custom instruments that that load into the Xcode Instruments app, uh, and then when you instrument your application, you can use those alongside of Time Profiler leaks and and allocations and so forth. Um, and so I think these were relatively successful with people who use Combine or Swift because uh, they added some kind of semi-automatic debugging to to publishers and combine and to observable in RxSwift. Um, and, and I noticed that, you know, people like it, but there's still a process of setting up. There's still a process of installing the app and installing the instrument in Xcode. And, and this was still like kind of like a impediment, a hurdle that, that people needed to get through. And, 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 and maybe people didn't want to do it. <laughs> And, then, and that's how I came to DataTile because I thought I want to make an app that requires zero configuration. It doesn't require you to import a package in your project. It doesn't require anything of you. Like if you don't want to do anything, this app is for you. <laughs> and this is this is how like I I kept thinking in the same direction of like leverage debugs in some way and and using like rich UI in some way. And this is kind of like came together. Oh, I can talk to the simulator uh, with with through the through the Xcode's infrastructure with uh, sim control. Um, I can access the unified log where people can log and they're already logging to it. And I can combine all of these things that Apple is already has put on the computer for you. Uh, and I can just need to combine them and just offer like a, a rich UI on top uh, and and. And basically, we're required to do nothing and and do everything for you, and that's it. You know, that's, this is this is this is when it clicked. When I figured out that I can require no configuration at all from the user and no need to import any other code, then I thought this is something that that I want to build. I want to put to the app store and let others use. Yeah, and I think that you know um, that is something that. Is, is a bigger deal than it may sound to a lot of people because I'll give you a use case scenario that, that's happened to me before. And, and hopefully this has happened to other people and I'm not the only one because then I'm going to feel pretty terrible about this. But, um, <laughs> you know, you hit on a key area there, right? You either have to end up, uh, well, first of all, let me put my hand in the air and say, yes, I am one of those uh, print, debug people and I know I shouldn't be by now all the years I've been doing this and and breakpoints are fantastic and Peter why are you still doing that because it is muscle memory right and it is still like oh a quick print statement will do it um, and what happens is as you said I then end up filling my console with lots of things that I'm not focusing on at this point and and that is a big big area but this as you mentioned adding this extra code uh, importing extra libraries and things like that is, is all fine and 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 manage well, somewhat manageable at the development time. But I know this has happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to other people. Um, you forget sometimes, and you know some of these libraries you don't want to have them in there when you ship the final version, and. It's very easy to miss these things and, and they end up in the code base. And maybe it's not a big deal, but it's certainly adding to the package size. And maybe it is logging some something somewhere that you don't want to have logging. You know, so having a tool that sits outside of that process that, like as you say, requires zero configuration is a huge win because it's just sitting there watching over the things when I need to do it during development time. And then when it comes to shipping, I don't have to do anything. It's just not going to be there, and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then on top of this comes comes um, as I said, the rich UI. So you know, all the all the there's a little bit of brain that 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 you know makes everything work. So you know, if you're logging percentages, it gives you a 
progress bar if you're logging numbers it allows you to see them as a chart and so forth so you know all of this just adds to um you know and and all of this comes from from experiencing these kind of problems right like so I, I very often, I very often would, would build caches in, in different spots in apps or, um, but, uh, and these are things that you need to kind of, I know how they should be working, but especially for a cache that works in the background and, and you not proactively, uh, do something in the UI to, to trigger these actions mm-hmm. is very, it's very important to, like, at least for a while monitor, like, how does it fill up with objects? Uh, does it hit certain limits? How does it behave when it hits the limits and so forth and so forth? And so, especially for something like this that is happening in the background, it's so useful. Like I always have a print with the, uh, with the count of objects in the cache. Um, so I can see kind of like if it, if I hit certain numbers or where does it like, where does the, the amount kind of like float around? But this is very difficult to see, even if it's printed in the console, it's just numbers that are flying by and you can't really see the trend of this but but when you have a chart then you can really see like it goes up it feels it hits the limit then it drops down and so forth and so forth just like you know the, the debugging sidebar in xcode will show you the cpu or the instruments charts will will show you uh you know cpu memory location so forth so forth so these are very very useful user interface uh i don't know if they're paradigms or so but like they're let's call them mm-hmm. patterns um, that makes it easy to understand your data. And, and this is what I wanted to have for Datatel as well. Like numbers, 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 they're great, but it's even better if you can see something visual and like instantly understand things without need the need to interpret. Oh, them. you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think, you know, again, I think we've all been there. Like you say that, that console, um, you know, th- things fly by really quickly and, Unless you do a little bit of kind of a uh, little bit of kung fu, if you like, with the with the console, you get a lot of stuff in there. It is nice to have, uh, you know, essentially this this dashboard that just pulls out all the things you care about, and and just have that. Like in my case, I I had it sitting off to the side on a second monitor. I feel like it's that that instant useful instruments for everybody. Right, instruments is great once you understand it, or you you think you understand it, which is kind of where I'm at. Just when I think I've got it, something happens, and you're like, "Oh, that's not what I thought." Um, but this is a great way to take the the ideas and philosophies of instruments and put it into meaningful data for the rest of us to to understand without all the data science behind instruments. You know that that's kind of another way that I look at it there as well. Um, I much appreciate this. This is, this is kind of like exactly, exactly one of my, one of the points that I wanted to make. Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of, of time in instruments in my life. <laughs> I had the feeling that I know the program quite well, but like fairly recently, like I think a month or two ago or so, I was talking into a, a, a Slack channel where, where other uh, Mac developers would be. Uh, and then somebody would send me like this, like, a process of like five steps to go through some of the menus that I've never mm. been in. And then you can enable like completely new behavior that like it, it solves everything <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> like, all right. Like instruments is, is huge. It has like all this, all this kind of like possibilities that, that, uh, you know, I never really ran into. And so, um, and so it is, yeah, it, it requires, a, a, I think a lot of focus, uh, a lot of deep dive, um, and the one thing that really triggers me is I compile for profiling, you know, I do a release build, I profile, and then by mistake, by mistake, I press command build and that does a debug <laughs> build from start. And, and to, and to like do my next profile, I need to recompile for release to, yeah. <laughs> to do the next thing. And this time takes, this takes time, right? Like it, it does for, for a huge project. The, the more time I spend trying to configure uh, tools to do what I need them to do to answer my questions is less time I'm spending answering the questions. And, um, so, so something like data tile that says, you know, out of the box, like, Hey, I think this is what you're looking for. And, 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 you know, you look at it and go, yep, that's what I need. Great. I've, I've solved my problem. I'm on to the next problem. Right. It's kind of that thing of, you know, that, that developer sort of meme joke about, 
you know, um, will spend a couple of hours writing a script to automate a task that would only do one time. Um, and I feel like sometimes with instruments and that, that's kind of what you're doing. It's like, right, I think I got it all configured and you, you run it. And it's like, oh, great. The Boolean said yes. I mean, it's like, oh, geez, really? I did all of that for that, you know? So um, productivity, for me at least, is a huge thing for for just give me the answer. Let me move on to my next problem because there's always going to be a list of problems, you know. And and so people like yourself that that write these tools, um, you know, eternally grateful for them. And and I always say to folks too, you know, um, whatever the price is that you're paying for that tool, is is worth every penny when you sit and you look at it and, and say, okay, you know, how many times am I going to use this? How, how long do I think it's going to save me? And if you do the math, you know, very quickly you realize, you know, and I always say this to, to my audience, which is say thank you, reward the people that make tools that help you do your job. Thank you. Yeah, just to expand it for, for a moment there about the pricing. So I really, I was very hesitant what to do with, with, um, on this topic. And so what I, what I ended up doing is when you download it from the app store, um, it, it shows up with a special icon saying data tile mini and the mini version just works for up to three tiles at a time. And so if you're a hobbyist or, or a student and, or you just want to give it a try, I think that's quite enough. You can, you can use like a couple of, you can track a couple of, uh, data points in your logs and that will work. Uh, but if you want more uh, and more customization, then uh, there's a pro feature, which is kind of like 50 something dollars a year. Um, and I, and I always, when I, when I, when I'm thinking about these things, same, same thing with the books that I'm working on. Um, I'm thinking about these things in such a way like it data tile, if it fits your workflow, it will save you more than an hour per year. And so, <laughs> and, and so, you know, the second hour it saves you, you're already profiting from, from paying that price and so on, so on, so, so, um, you know, um, I think it's reasonable, but as I said, there's also a free, free version. So people should just yeah. give it a try. I'm sure that there's people that will not, will not benefit from it as well. You know, some of the people that tested the beta version loved it. They adored it. There will, there is, there is a few people who really adore it because it solves how they work and how they debug. Um, but other people didn't really seem to care. And so maybe they're debugging some other way. Um, and therefore it doesn't really fit their, their workflow. That's why I wanted to have a free, free version initially, the mini, so that people can just test, you know, because if it solves the problem, I think it, it will click right away, yep. right after you, <laughs> you see the first few tiles pop up, then it will be clear what it does for you. And it will be obvious. I was really surprised, you know, on launch day, there was, there was, I think a dozen of people who asked me for a Mac version. Uh, and so I think that there's really interested for, for Mac developers as well, because currently it just talks to the simulator and therefore it can work with iPhone apps, watch, watch apps and, or uh, TV apps, but not with Mac apps. Um, because of the limitation of the sandbox. Um, so when you, when it, when the app asks you to point to your Xcode, what it does is to get permission to talk to your Xcode, uh, infrastructure so that it can talk to the sim. Um, but it can't do exactly this, exactly the same way for Mac apps. And so I got many questions for that. And so I think that the next step would be just to add the possibility to do the same thing for Mac apps. And I think once. And the difference is the the big difference is of course that you know the the one talks to the sim control tool that comes with Xcode and asks it to stream the unified log from the simulator, and this is how it gets all the all the logs. Um, and the difference is with with the Mac is that it needs to get access to the stream of logs that is running on your machine and not in the sim, and so this is a completely different thing, um, sandbox wise. Uh, but I, but I do have some ideas. I have, I have, uh, I have a non-sandbox version here running on my laptop that is doing it. I'm just going to try to figure out a sandbox version that could do it because then it will be, you know, more safer for people who have it at work and so forth. Um, but if, if, if I get through over like through this milestone, then it can become very interesting. And, and what is interesting for me to, to explore is, I don't know about other languages, but, but Swift has amazing tooling. 
like the, the tools that you have to instrument things, you know, like all the, all the leaks tools and all the, all the time profiler and everything there is instant, beautiful UI. It's very powerful. You know, instruments is there. We just have it. We don't even think about it, but other languages probably don't have exactly the same kind of level of instruments. I would guess say, you know, like Rust is getting very popular. Go is getting very popular. Um, I mean, how about C, uh, as popular as always, uh, and all of these could could log to the to the unified log because the obvious log version is available on the system, and therefore all of them could log to the unified log. And therefore, if I have a version that works with with the machine log instead of the sim, then Rust developers could use it. Then C developers can use it. Anyone can use it who can just write to the to the unified log on the machine. Um, and so I think this is fascinating. It could be amazing just because Apple's tooling is, is so universal, so, so nicely designed and it's working together so nice that, um, it makes it possible to like completely different language drive data telling exactly the same way as Swift. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah. And I, and I have to admit, um, when I, you know, the day that it came out, I, 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 I think it was the following day actually. I popped over to the store. There was a couple of reviews in there at that point, and I was looking at them. and And one of them said about you know Mac OS, and I, I have to admit, I was one of those folks who immediately thought, "Yes, I, I absolutely." Uh, as someone who writes Mac OS apps, oh, uh, only for themselves, but but I thought, yeah, okay, I want that too. <laughs> so so I'm I'm on that list uh, as one of those of like plus ones, you know, uh, for sure. <laughs> Time for a break. I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a hosting company that I use for a lot of my projects. And I'm going to tell you, rather than just the usual thing that you hear on adverts, I'm going to tell you exactly how I use it. It is so simple to set up. You just log in and I can set up very quickly with a few clicks, whatever kind of instance I need on a server with whatever OS or pre-installed apps. I'm going to give you a perfect example here. It is so easy to set up Swift on the server-side Vapor, and I did that recently, and it, it was painless. You know, I went in there, and I set it up, and before you knew it, my Swift app, I was bouncing off the APIs that I had created on the server-side and testing everything that I needed to be tested. But you don't have to use it for projects just like that. You can really use it to host anything you want for any length of time because you're really only paying for the resources as you use them. You're not paying ahead. And they have 14 globally distributed data centers and 99.99% uptime. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to peterweedham.com forward slash D-O-C-E-A-N, that's D-Ocean, and that'll give you some free credits to get started with. Break time over. All right, so another topic mm -hmm. we wanted to talk about, something that I think is near and dear to to everybody, you know, everybody on the app, Apple platforms doing development now. And, and I know uh, myself and all the live streams and everything else that I hang out on, you, you can almost guarantee that at least once Every time someone's going to ask the question about is Swift UI, is it production ready? And can I use it to start making apps? I know that I've done an app um, that's out there that's 100% uh, Swift UI. And, and I, I'm pretty sure, I think, uh, you know, with your new app data tile, that's 100% that's Swift UI as well, right? So what are your thoughts on it? Let, let me you ask you the question. I don't think I've ever asked any. I've had people ask me, so I'll ask you. <laughs> Hey, is Swift UI production ready? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know very well the answer to this question is it depends. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, uh, and so, yeah. And so DataTel is 100% Swift UI. This was one of my goals from the start to, because, you know, I also was asking myself this question, is Swift UI actually production ready? I was asking myself this question quite often uh, in the last year because I had a lot of problems with Xcode specifically. Like there was a lot of hangs, freezes, uh, compiler is evaluating expressions and, and things like this. I don't think it was a great, great experience. However, since Xcode 14 is out, I see a huge improvement in the stability of the IDE. Uh, I, I have never had a hang uh, while I write code. Um, 
with Swift UI specifically in Xcode 14, which used to happen very often in Xcode 13. Um, you know, some curly bracket here or, or a missed one over there. And then Xcode 13 would be just, you know, spinning. Um, and this made me think like things are not at, at their best. However, with Xcode 14, I see none of that. This is, I think it's a huge improvement. And, and this is one of the things that Apple doesn't really actually, you know, shout out of the rooftops at WWDC, you know, like they always just focus on the new things that are being introduced. But the fact that things are more stable, they're fixed and they're more robust and more performant, like they, they don't really, you know, um, and so I think this is a huge, a huge, uh, a huge win that, that is like unsung kind of like a WWDC, <laughs> um, you know, and these people who are working on, on, on the stabilizing, stabilizing the tools, tool set, uh, don't get enough, enough praise. Um, so first of all, the IDE behaves much better. Uh, probably the compiler is also, um, at play here because, uh, Oftentimes before I noticed that the compiler is actually trying to understand the code and it simply can't, uh, which it does now. So I have very, 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 uh, only great things to say about the improvements in the tooling. And I must say that I started the app as Mac OS 13 only, therefore the latest SDK. And that is probably for me, the first version of Swift UI that actually can build Mac mm-hmm. apps because before that, a lot of key elements um, were missing and most most notably managing windows you know this is something that you have to do on mac apps you, you need to open windows there's there's no way that that you know swift ui can handle all of your needs windowing needs so to say um which was the case before but now you can open windows pass data to them and uh, you know it's a proper window management that is built in. Um, and this kind of like makes makes a lot of difference. And there's a few more things that, that were added and I really feel that uh, now SwiftUI is ready for 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 building Mac apps. Um, and you know the the, ch- the new changes with with uh, with a proper um, what is it called a navigation split view, I think it's called in, in the latest SDKs, um, which allows you to create and, and the way that you pass <coughs> data between, you know, when you have a sidebar where people are, are selecting items, the way to pass that data into the detail views and so on. This is completely new. Um, and so they did a lot around navigation, um, you know, app design, uh, data flow between, you know, something that is more than a single window, basically. Um, which is, and I understand it. Like the focus is the iPhone, the phone, an iPhone brings the money. That's it. And so of course this gets the most attention. Um, but I think that this kind of changes that they added this year, uh, simply, I think now it's on par with, with, uh, you know, APIs that existed before. And of course you, you can't use only Swift UI to, to manage your application. You need to, um, you know, you always will need to make calls to NS application, uh, for handling events and this kind of thing and so forth and so forth. Naturally, uh, this is not a, um, Coco is not out of the ecosystem, but this is still in the ecosystem. So you need to use a lot of the aspects of, of what Coco offers. Um, but you don't have to rely on, on AppKit. Um, and, and, and truly you can, I think I feel that now you can truly do what what the concept was. If you need a some kind of a more advanced component, you can wrap the the AppKit one into a, a view that that does whatever you want, and then just use it and keep that in isolation, and don't need to leak that <laughs> into other parts of the code. And I think this happens now. Um, and, and so I think that if you're building a Mac a Mac app, if if it's not a you know video editor or, or something else that needs a very advanced kind of kind of like very custom UIs. Um, I think, I think you should start with Swift UI, um, you know, apps that do that handle data or, or, um, you know, creative apps that are, that don't require like a lot of custom UI and stuff like that. Um, I, I think you should always just start with Swift UI. Um, a few things that are, there's still not there. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that it's not production ready uh, <laughs> is, is what i'm saying so, so there there are a few things missing if you if you are already thinking into app kit mode uh there there are some things that are missing but um you know that's the trade-off of course uh you can't have everything from app kit and still not mm-hmm. be app kit <laughs> if you have everything from app kit then you have <laughs> yeah, AppKit, yeah of course um <laughs> yeah. And so like Swift UI is an abstraction on top and therefore uh, you know it offers less um in a, in a simpler and you know the benefits are are elsewhere not having the full app kit API. Yeah. Um and so this is my this is this is what I want to say. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know the 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 answer that I always give to folks is um you know d- depends on where you're at first of all. If you are someone that has an existing app that's not Swift UI, and you're asking the question from the perspective of, should I now port this over to Swift UI, rewrite those portions? Um, you, you know, yes, you could do that. Uh, but do you feel that there's a need to do it? Or are you just doing it because you just say you're using Swift UI? So that's, that's number one. Um, I, and then I say to folks, if you're, if you're making a new app, Ask yourself uh, the question, which primarily really is more about Mac OS than, than the other platforms. And that is, what, what do I need my app? You know, what's the end goal here? What's my app going to do? And do you think you can do that with, with SwiftUI? Or is, does it make sense to, to stay with conventional app kit? Um, and then also as well, you're not committing you know, to just one or the other, as, as you said, you know, you can still wrap, you know, either A or B, whichever way you need to go. Um, it, it is an option, you know, for me, I start now with SwiftUI and, and that, that's where I'm at until I hit a problem. And then, you know, it, it does happen, but I think it's a lot better this year, as you said as well. Um, you know, this year in particular, or, or I should say 2022, because I guess we should now start to think about WWDC for 23, right? Um, but I, that, that, you know, that's another thing that, that gives me great hope for this year because we made such good advancements last year that it really became, I don't want to say it wasn't a viable option before, but it became a more, um, I, I guess to use Apple, a more delightful experience to develop with. And and that for me is a big part of it. What I have found, especially with Mac apps, but for example, on an iOS app I was just doing recently as well, is it is always really nice when you do something with SwiftUI and you discover how little code is needed compared to when you used to use UIKit, AppKit. That is always a great experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I laughed because I've been there. Like, I've, on 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 multiple occasions, I've been like, "Is this all?" <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was all. So you know, um, I've been there. I'm ex- I'm I'm delighted in the in the same in the same way. Like sometimes things are just very simple. I'm hoping this year and, and WWDC will get here before we know it. Um, I'd like to mm. see where. The Mac side does get a little more love when it comes to controls that that just work the same and and look and feel the same as say the iOS or the iPad. And I think that it will because of the iPad, right? And 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 maybe where Apple seems to be taking the iPad, it is almost and feels like a necessity that Mac OS and the iPad in particular need to have this very common parity down the road that needs to start happening sooner rather than later. Uh, For example, you know, for me, Mac apps, uh, when it comes to calendar controls, always still feels a little bit more of a battle than it should be. Um, And and yet on iOS uh, and that with SwiftUI, they look fantastic, they work fantastic, but I have to fight it a little bit on the Mac. And I would love to see those kind of controls get some love. Certainly, as you mentioned, the navigation has been fantastic. And that is clearly uh, sort of a a pointer for the Mac with those multi-pane, multi-windows does certainly need some more work. To build upon what you said, 
I think you know. I think the 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 changes that came to iPad OS are probably probably the main driver behind you know finally getting the proper windowing APIs also on the Mac because um, you know they as you said they need to work the same um, probably um, probably they're needed on the iPad on some long term projects that that we might be seeing like next year or I mean this year or next year who knows. Um, and uh, and I think we're lucky because this I hope that will drive a little bit, uh, and also the attention to the to the Mac APIs, mm-hmm. and so f- we can build better better Mac apps as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I think the I think the light motif, like the 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 what we said over and over and over in this last ten minutes, is that the last year was really the key, yeah, <laughs> the keen Swift UI, and so. And so and so during the during the detail beta, I get a lot of feedback from people who said, "No, I'm still on macOS 12 because I'm waiting until it's the time to upgrade and so forth and so forth." And so, just before the release, I did a push and I uh, downgraded the requirements to macOS 12, and so I lost the ability to use these new APIs. Um, so, I, two key things: I lost the ability to use first SwiftUI charts. And second, um, the window management that SwiftUI offers. Um, and I think the, the 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 former was not really a problem. Actually, I wrote my own charts uh, view, and this was quite easy. Uh, I just use a, an H stack, and and you know, with a with a bunch of rectangles that change height, and yep. this works mm-hmm. just fine for what I need them to. Um, so this was actually a big win. Um, but I think on the window management, I kind of. Kind of the, the quality of the app experience degraded a little bit um, because before Mac OS 13, the only option was to, you know, um, open URLs that are that are in a scheme handled by the app, and that was the way to open Windows. Um, and so, in the in the App Store version right now, like sometimes you will you will open the you can open a tile, and then sometimes the settings window will also pop up in there. Things like this, and this is just things that I can't really control because it's all URLs and things. So I'm a little dissatisfied, but I'm going to look into it. Um, but I think that Apple, in general, does a better job than most at trying to keep people moving forward. Plus, the legacy support is a lot better on Apple than any other platform I've ever had to deal with. You know, um, it is difficult during these Swift UI transition years, but I hope that over the next couple of years, it becomes something we don't even think about anymore, you know? Yeah. Uh, and not to mention that these machines just last forever. Like, yeah. it's, it's insane. Yeah. My, 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 uh, 2000, uh, late 2006 iMac, um, was the first Intel model, uh, the 17 inch, I think. Um, it still worked, I think, um, three years ago or so. Like it was, it was in my mom's house, and 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 it still worked. It's it's great. <laughs> uh, not to mention, like all these laptops. Like my my brand new laptop was is a thirteen inch. I just dropped it brutally. It has a it has a scratch like diagonally from corner to corner, and it was so brutal that it's funny. It was so brutal the dust that was in the keyboard imprinted itself on the on the screen oh, wow. just transferred like from the from from the push like straight and like and opened it and there will be like a keyboard made out of this on the screen so it was so brutal and and it and it didn't even like notice it it just runs like it's so yeah just another praise like for the machines but um but yeah i, I get what you say <laughs> i get what you say it's um uh, it's another it's another half a year of support for Mac OS 12 and that's it. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, and I, I do want to add that that I'm I'm exactly the same. I have um I have the first uh, I have an iMac that was the first Intel one back when it was in, encased in the acrylic and everything else. Um and still runs and uh you know, doesn't run any of the latest stuff. Okay, doesn't matter. It's not what it's being used for anymore, you know. Um uh, but it still runs still doing what it needs to do and 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 i admit part of it is because it just looks great it's still around too uh but yes the you know those those things like that keep happening um and without going off on a tangent you know sometimes 
there is a downside to that for Apple, which is, well, if you're, you know, like if all these things and like now with the iPads, with the M chips and everything else, it's like, if you keep supporting these things forever, you're not really giving anybody an incentive to upgrade because they're now so incredibly powerful. I just don't feel the need every year. But that's a whole other whole other conversation, yeah. you know, right there. But yeah, thank yeah, you to yeah. Apple for yeah, doing it. it. Yeah. You know, they don't just abandon and force me to, to move on. All right. So we have covered a lot in this episode. And um, I think, you know, there's a lot lot in here for, for folks to, to work through and and I was really excited about doing this interview with you because uh, not only for the tools, but, uh, you know, like I said, you're somebody that, that I've been following for a long time and have a lot of respect for. And, and, and you know, when, whenever you're posting something, I always pay attention because I know I'm going to learn something. So I, I hope the users uh, or the listeners, I should say, really appreciate it. So, uh, you know, Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'll put a lot of links in the show notes for everybody. But would you please tell everybody how they can get hold of you and, you know, check out um, products and everything else. And because uh, I know you have a lot of stuff out there. So so please let, let folks know how they can get hold of you. Right. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is uh, um, what, what I'm really grateful for is, is you've really taken the time to showcase my product and, and all the all the ideas I had about it and, and, and all the things that took all the effort that I've been putting into and, and, and it feels great, you know, uh, thank you for that. Um, so if, if uh, somebody's listening and they have no idea where to find me, the easiest way is my website, which is underplot.com, underplot like the word, dot com. And um there you have on the left side uh, and sidebar you have all the Twitters, Mastodons, uh, LinkedIn's um, emails, and, and all these details are there. Uh, and um, if you scroll up and down, you'll see uh, all kind of things that I worked on. The first one is Datatel, so from there you can just go straight to Datatel's website. Um, if you scroll further down, there's uh, uh, an old books that I've worked on uh, for Ray Wendlick, which is now CodeEcho.com. Um, which are, might be also interesting for, for somebody. Uh, and even further, there's a whole bunch of, uh, presentations that I've given. So there's all the information is, is right there under plot.com. Uh, hey, he made it, to, he made it to the end without, without passing out after the, the brutal attack on himself with a knife at the beginning. <laughs> he, he made it, folks. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so, so well done. He, he can now go off to rush off to emergency. <laughs> So yeah, Marine. Uh, I think I just need to lay down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I need to go eat something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so again, thank you yeah. uh, to you. Mm. And and if anybody has any questions for me or anything they want to find out, uh, you know, again, you can f- look for Compile Swift anywhere. It, it, it is probably going to be me uh, or CompileSwift.com. So with that, we will we'll leave it there for this episode. It has been fantastic. We'll we'll be doing some more of these interviews this year. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.